Hey, this is Regan Bach, Managing Partner at Better Faster Further. And I wanted to take a second to welcome you to the Better Faster Further podcast. Whether this is your first episode or if you've been with us since the beginning, we're so thankful that you're here. We know that time is limited and we truly appreciate each and every one of you and want to thank you for listening. Hey everyone, this is Adam Odosky. I'm part of the core team at Better Faster Further and co-host of the podcast. With every episode, we'll feature inspiring stories from bright business minds, accomplished athletes, and inspiring leaders. We'll provide insights, tools, and takeaways to help you expand your capacity. We'll also take it a step further and really try to uncover the deep, hard to reach, and often unexplored places of the human experience. Things like overcoming obstacles, failure, facing fears, pushing through the hard stuff, and ultimately highlighting the growth, opportunity, and lessons learned that comes from choosing the path less traveled. As a serial entrepreneur and now executive coach, ultra endurance athlete, and health coach, I know these discussions are worth their weight in gold. Hey everyone, this is Regan Bach, co-founder of Better Faster Further. I am super excited to be here. We took a little bit of a respite on pushing out podcasts. Uh, as summer hit, obviously family life gets busy, and then we had a bunch of kind of big work projects that required us to hop on planes, trains, and automobiles. But uh, we are super excited to be back in the trenches of the podcast world. We've lined up some really incredible conversations, including today. And recording a bunch of these kind of back-to-back. So looking forward to pushing that content your direction. But thanks for being patient with us. I am super stoked on today's conversation for a bunch of different reasons. For one, our guest today is uh, a good friend and a mentor to me. Uh, He is actually the one that turned me on to the whole field of organizational psychology and um, OD work. And I don't know whether to thank him and hug him or, or punch him in the arm for that effort, but, but here we are. That was a big pivotal moment for me in the transition of my kind of professional journey, spinning out from being a dirtbag kayaker into a uh, San Francisco Bay executive coach and such. But um, we'll, we'll get into that here shortly. And then he is just, uh, he's been in the trenches for, you know, two decades now, 22 years, uh, scaling people teams, organizations, um, big companies, startups, and just has a very rich kind of tapestry of stories and lessons learned from that professional journey. So can't wait to get into it. Um, But before I announce who our guest is today, I just wanted to say hi to my podcast buddy, Adam Odosky, who's in Salida. Adam, how are you? I'm doing well, Regan. It's good to see you. I'm glad to be back on um, on the conversation front. Yeah, I miss these. I miss these conversations. It's been like a month and it, we had a little dry spell there. So back in it. But um, yeah, 100%. Adam, um, always a thrill, uh, you know, thrilled to have you on these conversations. And uh, you've got another big thing coming up in your life. Adam in uh, a week runs his third 200 plus mile ultra endurance run. Uh, maybe you could just take a minute or two, share a little bit about that, and then we'll introduce our guest. You bet. Uh, so I'll leave on Wednesday. We're recording this podcast on Monday. And I'll leave on Wednesday, August 9th, uh, to fly up to Portland, Oregon, and then drive south into Washington for the Bigfoot 200, which kicks off Friday, August 11th. And it's, um, although you reminded me this morning, it's not 209 miles, it's 208.5, which I'll tell you what, half a mile at the end of a 200-mile race is a gift. So I'll be happy not to run yeah, that. When, when the wheels are coming off the bus every every half mile, 
counts, right? Uh, Re- uh, Regan, the wheels will have come off the bus long before that point. That's for sure. So yeah, fly up, uh, do that race, which will start on Friday. Hopefully I'll finish on, uh, I mean, ideally I'll finish on Monday. I'm doing the race. Uh, some of the listeners know Jeff Jones, who was a guest of ours and an earlier podcast will link to his show. Uh, but Jeff is, um, he's an executive over at Orange and he oversees the sales organization of the Americas. But you know, none of that matters other than we met in Moab and we, he paced me for 90 miles in Cocodona. Jeff is getting ready for his own adventure in Moab this year in October. And he's coming out to, to run with me for 165 miles in Bigfoot. So this will be our third uh, time together spending, you know, an exciting, painful, you know, journey together in, in backcountry. So I'm excited about that. What else can I tell you? Um, as ready as we're going to be, you know, I've been dealing with some, some injuries and, you know, less than ideal, you know, physical state, but it is what it is. And off we go. That's awesome. Well, hopefully we'll get to do a debrief at some point afterwards, but, uh, We'll be following you, tracking you, rooting you on. I'll be sending you like ridiculous text messages along the way. So hopefully you get them every once in a while. But uh, <laughs> yeah, stoked to have you here. Sounds good. Well, let's see. Without further ado, um, our, our guest today is Chris Tobin. Chris has been a friend of mine for, for quite some time. We met at some point when back in our college days, Chris and my best friend, Eric Westberg, went to see you together. Our circles merge. There's quite a few Bay Area kids that end up going to see you. It's kind of a tractor beam and vice versa. A lot of Colorado people love the Bay Area. I believe it's because you can live in a town, go to a good school, do a lot of winter sports, outdoor activities, have an international airport that's easy to get back and forth. But like, I, I know a lot of people from Colorado really like the vibe in Northern California, love to do the surfing thing and love to have access to the mountains. And for whatever reason, there's definitely a, a, a major contingent of San Francisco, Bay Area, Northern California folks that go to see you. But um, that's where we originally met. He was best man at my wedding. He has seen the, the good, the bad, and the ugly as far as Regan's life is concerned. But he's been a dear friend and someone I lean on a lot. Uh, Chris was, as I alluded to earlier, you know, when I moved out from Colorado to the Bay Area, this was before I even decided to move here. I was talking to Chris and he was working on getting his PhD in organizational psychology. And I didn't even know that was a thing. I didn't know it was a field of, of study. And the more I kind of picked his brain and uh, followed some of his recommendations, I ended up diving headfirst in, into that world and ended up attending the same school that he was in. And um, kind of the rest is history. So he has played a extremely pivotal uh, role in kind of shaping you know, where I am today. And Chris, whether you realize it or not, I don't use your name that often, but like I do allude to this guy who like pointed me in the direction of organizational development and org psychology. And, uh, you know, I can't tell you how many times I, I pitched that story into my introduction. So you, you, you're in my mind a lot for that reason. But um, Chris has also been just in the trenches of the kind of workforce for quite some time. Um, he and I both attended Alliant International University. I think they still go by that term. Uh, got a PhD in organizational psychology. Ended up working at PG&E um, uh, as a senior principal consultant in the OD world for a few years. He then moved on to Sun Microsystems. Followed there with kind of a big transition that we'll get into and was a uh, senior VP of people and places at a company called Say Media, um, which was followed by a tenure at Flipboard. 
And then uh, a couple years at a firm, the fintech company that's now publicly traded, and then transitioned out of that role into a SVP role of people at a company called Intercom. Once again, I think they're based out of Ireland and the Bay Area. And then more recently has made a transition out of being kind of an insider in these organizations to um, being a, uh, a mentor and advisor outside. Um, so without further ado, um, I'd love to introduce Chris Tobin. Uh, Chris, let's get your voice in here. How are you today, buddy? Doing excellent. Uh, good to see you, Reg. Nice to meet you, Adam. How are you guys doing today? Chris, I, you know, there's a million stories I could tell. We've had plenty of adventures together. We share a lot of the same friends. You know, today's conversation is really, you know, more around kind of the, the professional space, but I can definitely just attest and allude to the fact that you've worn a ton of different hats. You've been an insider, as I alluded to. You've kind of seen it from the outside. You've had, uh, you know, SVP titles. You've been, you know, sitting in the uh, executive boardrooms. You've been driving key initiatives. You've been sourcing talent. You've built programs. You've scaled teams. I mean, uh, there's not a lot of people that kind of have, you know, that level of visibility and, and maybe even some of the wounds coming out of that and the scar tissue that comes along with it. But I think that's really what builds that street cred for you to be in the roles that you're in today, kind of mentoring and advising uh, leaders and, and organizations. So super excited to, to hear more about that. But maybe you can introduce yourself a little bit and, and talk a bit about just you personally and then, and then lean into some of the... Uh, professional journey that you've been on. Yeah, you mentioned, quickly mentioned Boulder earlier, um, for sure, loved my, my time there. Kind of coming full circle, I was actually just out there this past weekend with my son and my wife, um, and we were we were up at CU um, Boulder doing a, doing a college tour for my son. So it was really cool to be up there to kind of relive, you know, some of those great moments and, uh, and uh, sort of show him Boulder and to get him excited about the, the prospect of going there. So, so it was really, really fun to, fun to, fun to be there. Does it, um, just quickly on that front, like I know Boulder's changed, but everywhere has changed, right? Like, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, it's definitely like nicer and kind of, it, it's lost maybe some of the grit, but I, I'm curious what your experience was just being back on campus that, that, you know, two decades later. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah, the, it's definitely a different place from, from when, when I was there, you know, in, you know, the, in the nineties, you know, for sure, you know, more, there's actually a big tech scene there now and startup scene, which is, which is um, kind of fun to see, but Boulder's for sure, you know, a lot nicer than it was and, and a lot more polished. Um, but the school itself is, you know, feels the same It's I mean, it's just a beautiful place with, you know, the, the, the red brick buildings and just the beautiful campus and sort of the big sky. And yeah, it was really fun, fun to be back there and driving around the hill and went on a hike up to Chautauqua and uh, up to the flat irons. And, you know, it was, it was, it was fun to be back. Well, and to be clear, like when you were in school there, we're talking like Eric Bieniemy, and, you know, like there, there were, yeah, you was like a winning football team and a, and a big, organization they have like since cordell stewart yeah yeah cordell stewart <laughs> you know we were it was exciting to go to those games and now you know they kind of lost their way for for a long time and and, and they're on the, the come up i mean with Dion sanders as their head coach i mean they're they're definitely rocking and rolling it's gonna be fascinating to see how that kicks off in september so i'm thrilled to see what comes out of that program but anyway yeah so i'm uh, as you mentioned I'm, I'm from the bay area i grew up in in mill valley um, sort of up on the Homestead Ridge, sort of on the on the way up to to Muir Woods and Simpson Beach. You know, grew up there um, and w- went to, sc- to to high school there. 
but been back in San Francisco now since I think 98. Um, and as you mentioned, um, live here with, with my wife, Josephine, and we have two teenagers, a senior in high school and, and, and now a, a freshman in high school. So, so yeah, been, been in the Bay area for most of my life. Um, you know, less, uh, a short stint to university of Vermont. Uh, so I was there for a couple of years and, and then spent a good, you know, five, five years in, in Colorado and Boulder is, is hard, hard to, hard to pull myself away from there, but, uh, was excited to move home and to sort of you know, get back into the, into the work world. That's great. So then you, um, you know, tour at CU coming out of, uh, of there, what was the transition like to actually choose to go to grad school? Yeah. I mean, I, so I, I, I studied, um, at Boulder, I studied, uh, psychology, uh, and also comparative religious studies. So I actually graduated with a, a, a dual degree. I thought I wanted to be a clinician, in, in psychology when, when I graduated. And so my, my first actual job in San Francisco was at, um, the general hospital here. I was in a residential sort of facility for, for at risk, um, youth and, and, and teens that had pretty heavy psychological challenges and issues living in-house at, at San Francisco general hospital. Spent a year or two doing that and kind of quickly learned that that wasn't actually the place that I wanted to spend my, my professional career. But was always just fascinated with with sort of human dynamics and and organizations, and it sort of shifted my focus from sort of the clinical side um, on into the organizational side. Um, and at that point, um, started to look into graduate programs in organizational psychology. You know, continued to work, and, and eventually, you know, found myself in a, in a program uh, focused in, in organizational psychology. And then, so you were when I'm kind of moved out to the Bay Area, you were maybe halfway through your kind of PhD program. I remember going to your, um, you know, your kind of, uh, I forget what you even call it, like your dissertation kind of presentation. And yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, well, yeah. maybe, maybe intentionally so, right? Block some of that stuff out. But um, yeah, it was a long time. Uh, yeah. And, it, and it, it, again, it was very kind of inspiring and, and, and informative for me just to see you know, diving back into academia, number one, which is its own journey. But for me, it was, you know, understanding that there's actually like a field of study and science that has been emerging somewhat recently around organizations. And I think that the, the field itself continues to be pretty dynamic and is, 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 you know, as organizations change, probably some of the content changed. But help us understand kind of the not necessarily what you learned in there, but, you know, what did you focus on? And then, and then coming out of that, you know, three or four years, how did you, how do you leverage that into your, your next roles? I mean, I mean, the, I mean, the field has definitely evolved quite a bit. I mean, it has been around in one form or another for, for quite some time, actually with, you know, industrial organizational psychology and early IO stuff. And, you know, my, my focus, you know, was, you know, we're pretty general you know, as it relates to sort of organization development Sort of in parallel, when I was in school, I, I actually got a job at, at Pacific Gas and Electric Company, which to some sounds sort of strange. You know, you know, the, the gas and electric company is not typically the place people go, um, you know, when they live in San Francisco to build a career. But speaking about organization psychology, organization development, um, companies like PG&E, Bank of America, Kaiser, some of these larger organizations have been investing in um, sort of organization psychology, organization development for, for many, many years. So a lot of the original um, sort of studies and thinkers and practitioners um, who were working internally 
actually came out of those organizations. And PG&E had, a, had an amazing um, org psych department. And that was doing just a ton of really interesting you know, studies and work and working with the business. And I spent four years there. I mean, really just an amazing time working on all sorts of stuff, you know, from sort of culture assessment and, and, and development to team effectiveness to coaching, pretty much all sort of levels of the organization from the individual team and organization in terms of types of works and, and interventions. So it was a real, it was a real training ground um, and, and a place that I, I look back on, you know, very fondly. Um, I, I feel like I, I learned I learned a lot working at PG&E with with some some tremendous practitioners and, and folks um, who are, are really well respected in the field. Yeah, that's awesome. So I mean, you were there about four years, and and it sounds like you know sharpened the axe, if you will, and learned a great deal. But then you know, with any professional journey, there's iterations of it. So your your time at PG&E ends, and 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 what happens next? Yeah, I mean, and I should say like a half step back, you know, when, when I came into the workforce, you know, it was right at the time of sort of the, the dot-com implosion, right? So, you know, came out of school in 98 and got, got a job, you know, like I said, in, in social services for a while, but, but moved into a, a startup that imploded in, in 2000 called Employee Service. But it was a really interesting time to be, to be in, in industry. It was, you know, the implosion of, of the economy and implosion of the dot-com world was, was sort of, I was in my first couple of years of, of working in industry. And, and so interesting time for sure. Um, when I went to PG&E, I um, you know, was excited to work there because I really wanted to learn, but I never really wanted to be, I, I wanted to be in technology. You know, I wanted to be you know, in, um, you know, in companies that were building interesting technology. I always had an interest in in. Um, and sort of in the innovation that has traditionally come out of this area. And, and so from uh, PG&E, I, I went to Sun Microsystems and, and went into a similar sort of function and role, but at Sun, um, which was a, a very well-established uh, tech giant, you know, in, in the Valley at the time. Yeah, they were a leader. They were, they were changing the game. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was unfortunately there in, in sort of the the... So the, the lean years, as, as you might say, in Sun, I mean, but Sun just, again, just a tremendous organization, you know, was uh, when I was there, Scott McNeely was still the CEO and I think had been the longest tenured, you know, founder CEO um, ever at the time. So I went to PG, I went to, sorry, Sun Microsystems to, to, to be in their org psych department um, and spent a couple of years there and kind of thought that, you know, to be honest, you know, that that was going to be the trajectory of my career. Um, you know, I didn't. I didn't know if I would, you know, go externally and or maybe go to a consulting firm or, you know, do do that type of work. But you know, Sun was a really pivotal um, sort of uh, organization and, and a really sort of pivotal time in my career because I, I actually shifted uh, from organizational psychology into HR at Sun Microsystems. And was that based on interest or impact? Like, like what was the thought process behind making that commitment, if you will? You know, I mean, so Sun. Uh, I mean, t- the real answer is I, I had a, a real tr- uh, a mentor named Marion Davis. She's she's now uh, been long retired, uh, but she was an, an HR executive um, at Sun. And I remember talking to her one day, and and she you know, basically was like, you know, you you know, if you really want to have an impact in an organization, you should really be in HR. And because I was in a different department, you know, at the time. Um, 
and I, I kind of you know didn't had never even thought about the the possibility of, to be honest of being in HR, and and she she basically you know said all of the work and and all of the the training that you have had to date in organization development is actually the type of thinking um, that we want to need in HR. And at Sun at the time, there there was a, a role that now has become sort of the you know something that all organizations have, but it was a it was called an HR business partner. They are really a a pioneer in the HR business partner um, space. I mean, them again back with some of these larger companies like you know the Bank of America's of the world and Kaiser's um, had sort of to shift the the service delivery model for HR and had created this this role that was called an HR business partner. And and Sun was really like I said a pioneer, you know, on that front. And and Marion was like, you should become a business partner, um, continue to bring the, the the mindset and skill set of a of organization development, which is you know a, a systems approach to solving business problems and and understanding business problems to to um, it, you know understand business problems and, and solving those problems through the lens of of, of talent and, and culture and people. So it was really Marion who 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 sort of you know get, sort of helped me understand sort of the value I could have um, you know in, in HR. That's awesome. So you're at Sun from like '05 through the end of '08, just to help kind of place some timelines for folks, and then again kind of moved on from there. And and where'd you land? And and kind of what was the intent and and or outcomes of kind of that next phase? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, you know, once I was at Sun and I, you know, once I, I, I moved into HR, um, I actually is maybe one of the only really sort of planful or, or intentional um, sort of sort of career uh, sort of moves. Um, I, I wanted I knew I wanted to be in HR at that point and 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 I knew that I wanted to actually be in startups and I, and I wanted to 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 work in startups. But I but I hadn't. Um, been in HR for really long enough to to have the credibility to do so, and so I wanted to go to a, a company where I, I could learn a bit more on the HR side before you know wanting to make the move to to run the people functions for for startups, and and so I went to eBay uh, and and I spent a couple of years at eBay and it, there was was a business partner uh, was a business partner to the the CFO organization and was there for for two years. There, there are good years, and it was it was good learning, but but I knew it was it was a bit of a stopover for me, um, so because I wanted, like I said, to to, to get into to you know run, running HR for for startups. Yeah, and I remember, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I did a ton of work at eBay for for quite a few years, and there was you know the eBay work, the PayPal work, you know them being together, and then them peeling apart. And so I don't remember all the dates and times, but. Um, you're at you're at eBay for you know, 2008 through 2010. So like, who, who was in charge of eBay then? Like, who who was running the show there? I know a lot of eBay folks have gone on and are now CEOs of a bunch of different really important companies. It was, it was like there, there was quality leaders came out of that kind of tenure at eBay. Yeah, I mean, it's you know interesting. The, the, one of the reasons I went to eBay was was because they had acquired PayPal uh, prior to, to me to me joining. But they were going through the process of integrating um, PayPal into into eBay, and, and one of the the projects that I was excited to work on was integrating so the the finance function into a centralized function. You know, I worked with 
sort of globally with with all the finance you know folks both on the eBay side and the, and the PayPal side. And and again, it, it's sort of uh, you know ironic at this point because the, the goal was was to integrate the, the two companies. You know, fast forward a handful of years, and, and of course, you know, PayPal spun off, and you know, and and um, you know was separated fr- from eBay. But yeah, I, I was I was there sort of during during that that time period, um, and worked in, in like I said, the finance organization, and and worked with a lot of amazing leaders. And, and yeah, there's a lot of CF- CEOs that came out of eBay, but I think eBay has sort of ten to twelve uh, so CFOs that came out of that organization when I was working with them as well. So a good training ground. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I remember you know we did a, a lot of work in the finance org with you know Bob Swan and um, Brent Bounds was at the time a treasurer. I just looked Brent up. He's now the vice president, like VP at Treasury Collections and Procurement, but he's been at eBay 16 years. I mean, like that just shows that there's environments there we can continue to grow and be challenged. It's a pretty dynamic business. So, yeah, and and then there was a lot of folks who spun out to be you know uh, CFOs at startups and, and other companies as well. So, uh, it, you know, one of the programs actually, I was actually just talking about this with someone two days ago. Um, when I was there, I helped create the Finance Leadership Development Program, which was this rotational program. I, Reg, you may have worked on it with us. Yeah, I was. Um, yeah, I wasn't. Coach, in the, I think for them or yep. something like that. Go totally. there. I remember those conversations. Yeah, so, so so we created this rotational program, kind of a la GE. You know, a couple of the folks from from in, in the leadership org, I think Bob actually Swan was from from GE, but we created a, a similar type of program, and that program actually is still going on. So it's and it's probably it's probably the 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 one the, the most enduring program I've ever sort of built and implemented in a company. Uh, but it's gosh, it's been like fifteen years that that, that program has been been sort of ongoing. But it's, it's, it's a nice thing to remember. Yeah, totally. So if we look back, we've got, you know, coming out of school, PG&E, Sun Microsystems, this transition into eBay for a couple of years. And, and, and then, you know, these are all large enterprises, if you will, and put a, whatever label you want onto it. And, and, and then we kind of do something different. Talk us through that next kind of phase. Yeah. So, so like I said, I mean, at Sun, I, I kind of had this sort of intention and goal to, you know, to move into startups and, and, and maybe, you know, taking a half, half step back. Um, as you know, Reg, I mean, you know, OD is issue based work, right? So it's, it's, it's work that, you know, an organization has a problem. They, they call you, they say, Hey, you know, um, help us understand sort of the issue and solve this problem. Fix my pain. Yeah. Fix my pain. Right. And, and it's actually, it, it's, it's great in that way because you can come in and add value and, and, and move on. You know, at, at Sun, you know, I learned that you could do that work in a proactive way so that you could, you could build, you know, the, the right sort of company and culture the first time. You could, you could you know, um, identify the type of, of culture and values you, you wanted and you, you could work towards that and you could build programs in order to support and operationalize, um, you know, the, those goals. Well, well it's, you can do that work in big organizations. Um, I really, you know, wanted to be able to apply sort of those learnings and that lens and that worldview to, to start to startups. Um, and so th- that, that was sort of the intention behind wanting to move into smaller organizations. And, and again, you know, being in, in the Bay Area, um, you know, a, a pretty amazing place to to be able to do that type of work, and so that that was sort of the the goal. And and same media was a was a a, a VC back startup um, that really gave me the first opportunity to to lead the people function from you know from scratch. 
Um, and so I joined them in, in 2010. Um, you know, we were about 60 people. We, we did an acquisition the first week I was there, became 150 people overnight. And then, you know, over the next couple of years, grew to 450 people with, with you know, uh, offices all over the world. So really, it was one of those, those um, career-defining moments where, you know, I was, you know, learning, you know, as much as I was, I was you know, providing value um, and, you know, just was just a, just the sort of springboard of my career. Those are the best types of roles, right? Like it's a win-win across the board, adding value and, and learning, you know, along the way. I've been chasing that 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 two by two uh, ever since. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it's it's unique because those windows of 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 time don't always play out the way one would think. But you're absolutely right. And again, I've I've had exposure to you in these roles professionally, you know, especially from the eBay days, if you will, into say um, and into your next role. But it was also, I don't, you know, it sounds like you're a pretty. I, I take you as a very kind of thoughtful and pragmatic guy like i think you 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 think about the pros and cons before you make these moves i feel like you're always got your finger on the pulse of kind of what's happening in the market around like kind of what's going on you know within organizations and you know if anything i think you're because you do that and you're really good at building your networks you know not that you're always looking for your next job but i think you're always thinking about like how these learnings can be applied to whatever it comes next whenever that day may come and that's just my kind of my take on you but you um you know, at say you, it was your first kind of SVP role where you're, you're knighted to now kind of have, you know, a seat at the table, if you will, with the ability and influence to to make some of those big changes. Right, you're no longer just not taking orders, but you're and building programs, but like setting the strategy for that area of the business and getting to influence executive teams. So, so you know, whether that's at say or in your other roles, maybe you can speak a little bit about. You're no longer like an IC or a manager of managers. You're now like an executive sitting at the table, getting exposure to how the sausage gets made, but also being a part of that whole process. I'm curious just what your takeaways were, what that was like at the time. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a steep learning curve. And, and, and you know, when I joined Say Media, I'd, I'd never been a recruiter a day in my life. I'd never <laughs> built a benefits plan. I'd never, you know... Uh, run a compensation program or a compensation committee. I'd, I'd been a business partner, right? And so there was a lot of things to learn. And, and when I look back on it, 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 it's actually quite ridiculous that that I was given the keys, you know, and you know, an opportunity there. You know, I really, you know, there the, the CEO of Say Media um, is, a, is a gentleman named Matt Sanchez, and you know, I, I call him every once in a while and thank him for for the opportunity. He's, he's now a, a close friend of mine, but. You know, he he gave me he he gave me the opportunity to to learn you know all those things while you know bringing a, a perspective and a skill set you know, that that could be additive at the same time. But it's it's a steep learning curve, and it's something that I, I still talk a lot about with you know to, to 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 HR leaders about is is how do you make that transition? How do you become part of a, an executive team? How do you become part of a you know what, what I would call the, the first team, the, the team that's responsible for helping, you know, make the the decisions for the business and move the business forward. And, and it's not something that, you know, you, you know, you, you have to learn, you know, how, you have to learn sort of how, how to, how to be in that role. Um, and, and, and so, you know, it, it's, it's, like I said, not, not, not easy, um, but it, it's something that you sort of continue to, to hone over time. Awesome. So, Keep keep going. I'll I'll let you just kind of keep threading threading the needle and and sharing the context on some of these roles and kind of bringing us up to the current state. 
Yeah, sure. So, so I was at Say Media uh, for a few years, and it was like I said, it was it was a tremendous opportunity. And when you look at my resume, especially in the last, you know, you know, let's say fifteen years, you know, you, you could say, oh, you, you you've jumped from you know place to place, and that that is that is true. You know, when you work at startups, um, you know, you're you're trying to to execute, um, you know. Uh, and sometimes that that window of, of of execution is pretty narrow. It's hard. It's hard to to, to build a business. It's hard uh, for startups to you know to to grow and to sustain and and to you know ultimately um, you know reach sort of the you know the the mountaintop. Uh, and so, say media, although you know continued to to exist, you know, long after I left, um, you know, we missed that sort of window of execution and and. You know, I was. I think we reduced our our our, our, our team um, by the end of my tenure, and it was it was really time for me to move on. And so I I, I went to to Flipboard from there, and and which was a really really interesting organization with a with a, a very well respected um, CEO named Mike McHugh. Um, you know, frankly, sort of a legend in the valley. Um, so he he had built you know Flipboard, which at the time was just a really amazing, innovative idea. It was a digital magazine. You know, came out sort of right when the iPad sort of launched, um, and was sort of a new experience uh, for you know consuming media. And, and so was there for 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 a couple of years again with with the intention of of wanting to build a really successful and long lasting business. And another example of of you know, a, a company that, you know, was a great company to work at, but, but, but really didn't um, ever sort of get to the scale and size that everyone was, was hoping it, it could be. That was an interesting environment too. And, and we won't go into details, but it was, it was fascinating too. Cause I got kind of behind the curtains view of that too. Like, you know, ELT dynamics, leadership team dynamics, like decision-making, like scaling. And then, you know, for a window of time, Flipboard, like like many companies in that moment, become acquisition targets or are making acquisitions, right? And so there's just a lot of the the trade offs both on on both ends on that. So I just again being on an ELT and like having your day job, having to play well and work well with others, right? Not everybody thinks in the same ways, and then also kind of handling or triaging these like market dynamics. I just remember that being like a topic of conversation consistently at, at Flipboard during that time and. They're they're still doing their thing, aren't they? I think they are. Yeah, I mean, I, working in a, st- a startup is, I mean, that is the, the the reality. You know, you're you're constantly fighting, you know, for you know for you know market, and you're you know, frankly, fighting for for your uh, you know your organizational life, you know, so to speak. Yeah, your survival. Uh, it's yeah. I mean, I you know, I've, <laughs> I I kind of joke, you know, it, it's it's true, and and I don't know if it's funny or not, but you know, I. I <laughs> The last four startups I've worked for have none of them have been profitable. Again, which I which is I think good context for for for, for people. I, I actually don't think a firm is is yet profitable. So so you're you're constantly making these these trade offs. You know whether it's investing in you know marketing or you know or in headcount or whatever it might be, and it's it's definitely um, you know a you know a a challenging environment to be in because. You're trying to grow, but you're also trying to, you know, to to make sure that you, you know, you have another day to fight the good fight. Absolutely. So a good, like, you know, two and a half, three years at, at Flipboard, and and then moved on to to a firm. Yes. So yeah, in about 2016, I I 
I moved over to Affirm, the fintech company, um, and you know, was there pretty early. I was there about 150 people. You know, grew to 500 plus people when I was there. You know, that that was 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 a really sort of amazing you know opportunity with you know working with you know frankly some of the smartest you know people in the world. You know, grew, grew the 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 people team from you know three or four to you know I think maybe forty by the time I had left. Again, a, gr- a great run with with a with a, a group of really smart folks um, in a in a space that was you know um, innovative and and new and 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 now you know I think lot, lots of different folks in the buy now pay later space, but um, at the time sort of on the on the cutting edge of of of, of that um, you know th- that area of of, of fintech. Yeah, and again, I you know, Chris, due to our shared skill sets or or I guess symbiotic skill sets, has you know within reason and and has has like brought me or us into help with certain projects or people. So you know, better, faster, further got firsthand exposure to some of the you know ins and outs of the engine room at a firm, and we did quite a bit of work and continue to stay in touch with some of those folks, but just. You know, in my work at, at Facebook, when they were, you know, pre-IPO, growing like a weed, and then through the IPO, and then kind of again at, at Flipboard, just or at, um, uh, a firm being just another example of that. It's just, it's fascinating to see how an organization operates, you know, when, when like kind of the goal, not the end goal, but the means to the end is to like start to go public and like how you, you quote unquote, kind of professionalize the organization to some degree. And were there any, like, you know, that push to go from a private company to a public company? What would you say that, like, from an HR perspective is, like, you know, part of, like, what's the key takeaway from that life cycle? I just for those that haven't been either part of an organization during that time or, or, or in the function that you were, like, is there anything that you think about differently? Is there anything, like... From a people standpoint, what does an organization need to do to kind of prime the pump to get through that window of time? And I, I genuinely don't know if that's like a headcount perspective or a, like what, when is a company on the people side ready to kind of take that on? Yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of like operational stuff that you need in place. It's actually quite boring. You know, it's, it's you know, you have an, an audit you know, partner come in and assess your, your function. And so give you a roadmap for the things you, you need to do in order to, to be ready to be public. And I've, I've now done that a, a couple of times, but from a people perspective, and, and this comes before, frankly, before sort of IPO or ready, readiness for IPO, um, your, your whole goal is to help scale the organization. And from a people programs perspective, um, you're building programs um, that are, you know, are in service of scale. Um, and and so I, I talk about this a lot, but it's this idea of that you're you're replacing a lot of times like really organic processes that work really well when when the company's small um, with process, which can sometimes be be sort of like um, viewed as negative or corporate. But the reality is you you need the, these processes in place in order to help the company grow. For example, when you're when you're small and you and you have an onboarding program, you, you go have coffee with the 25 people that you work with. When you're a 500-person organization or a 1,000-person organization, you need a program in order to help people get up to speed so they can be as successful you know, quickly in their job, which is the whole goal of onboarding. And so you kind of apply that, that concept to all the different types of people programs, whether it's you know, how you pay people or how you reward people, um, how you think about sort of 
managing performance and creating an environment where you know high performance is the expectation. Um, it's it's all through that that lens of of creating something that that you know enables growth um, and also that stays sort of true to you know the company's you know values um, and, and culture at the same time. Thanks for being here, everyone. At Better, Faster, Further, we specialize in helping leaders, teams, and organizations maximize peak performance. Our goal as a business is to help build organizations that execute effectively, to create high-performing teams, and to help leaders bolster their overall capacity. We're unique and we're different. Our real-world, in-the-trenches experience comes from building and scaling teams and companies of all sizes. When you partner with Better, Faster, Further, you're not going to get a recent MBA graduate. What you will get is a team with decades of experience coming from industry veterans, academics, and leaders who have been in the most critical roles of startups, growing companies, and enterprise titans. Not only do we make recommendations, but we roll up our sleeves and get our hands dirty right next to you. We truly believe that organizations are at the epicenter of social change. And by creating positive shifts within those organizations, we create ripple effects that have profound and lasting impacts on communities and society at large. If you want to become a more effective leader, if you want to create a high-performing team, or if you need to scale your company in ways that will stand the test of time, then Better, Faster, Further is for you. Visit our website at betterfasterfurther.com or email us directly at bff at betterfasterfurther.com. Thanks for your time. Now let's get back to our discussion. That fundamental lens or mindset around building processes so they can scale, I think is a challenge for a lot of startups. A, because like, process is oftentimes like not a bad word but there's resistance to that level of formalization and like i I think there's a perspective that like going public is like the end result and really what that is is it's giving you access to capital in a different way to then scale and so there's like the pre-ipo scale then there's really the post-ipo scale and you know these systems that you're putting in place and they're, they're in in my experience there is quite a bit of resistance right it's like there's pressure to stay nimble and, oh, that's corporate and that's this. And, you know, not just lip service, but real kind of the antibodies come out to some of that. However, once you get access to, you know, that the, those monies, if you will, the goal is to scale. And then that comes in boatloads. So when you're going from 500 to 1,000, I mean, you literally can like lose control of how those happen. And if you're onboarding and you're talent acquisition and you're, you know, not just payroll and stuff, but like people need to have career ladders. Like they want to know, because now you're hiring people that are coming here as a job, not just because they're passionate about the fintech space. Cool. So uh, you're at a firm. What's next? Yeah. So yeah, I was at a firm and um, I th- then went to a company, which is the last company that I was, I've, I, I operated at was a company called Intercom. Um, was there for about four years. Sort of similar um, sort of story. Although I, I joined at about 500 and uh, left at about a thousand plus people. Uh, Intercom was just a, an amazing business that, that's still still growing and successful today. A late stage startup uh, founded by um, four four Irish Irish gentlemen. Um, and as you mentioned earlier, you know, half the company is actually more than half the company is now in Dublin. And, you know, it was there, you know, f- uh, like through sort of the, I would say, um, sort of late stage 
sort of growth stage. And again, interesting, you know, back to full circle career. Um, I'd say like in the last year or so has been obviously pretty, pretty tough from sort of the economy perspective. And, and, you know, I think has, has paused sort of a, a lot of, a lot of these startups and their sort of their aspirations to, to become public companies, but, you know, really, really help grow, grow intercom to the place to, to, you know, to be ready for, for that next stage. But, but I left um, now about a year ago, uh, but I was there for four years and sort of, sort of similar, similar types of themes and, you know, grow, scale, um, you know, built a team, uh, you know, probably 70 plus uh, folks in the people organization by the time I left, you know, four, four different uh, countries of operation. That's pretty cool, man. Two thoughts on that. One is like, you know, I think by design, you, you, you only invest your time and energy in organizations that value the people function, right? Like you, you, you wouldn't join a company unless you had a seat at the table and were able to have the right level of influence and such. So I, I, I totally honor and respect that. But there's also a lot of organizations that like don't make the investment on the people side, right? Don't have a senior leader, like a, a, a CHRO or call it whatever you want. For companies that like, I know they value their people, but I think a lot of startups in particular give lip service to kind of the cultural components, the, the, the communication components, the talent development components, and focus a lot more on like product and engine, whatever it may be. I guess what I'm, I'm trying to get to a question, which is like, for the organizations that make the investments on the people side of the house, like, do you have thoughts or perspectives on like the value that that drives for the organizations versus those that potentially don't give the right level of commitment and, and support to that to that side of the house, for lack of a better term? I mean, it's it's interesting. I mean, I think that some you know, I I so I've always worked for sort of as a baseline sort of values-based companies. And that goes back to, say, media, Flipboard, Affirm, you know, all, you know, values-based, you know, companies. You know, that, that was sort of, like I said, like a baseline for me. That doesn't mean that they were all human-centered companies. And, and so when you go back to this idea of, like, you know, um, which companies sort of value the people function and which don't, um, I think, I think you, you know, there's a slight nuance or difference between sort of values-based companies and human-centered companies. And one of the reasons I went to Intercom was because it's an extremely human-centered company, a company that does understand the value of people and culture and how that impacts business and business, business outcomes. And so I think for some, some companies, you know, it's their orientation. You know, others, and this is probably more the norm, they just don't know what it looks like. And a lot of times, you know, my experience, like founders are technical founders and they're, you know, they really think in ones and zeros and they're, they're pretty empirical in the way they approach um, sort of work. And, and the people function and people are just not, not that. They're not linear. <laughs> and so a lot of times I think it's, 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 you know, companies have a hard time just understanding what, what, what it looks like and, 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 you know, how it can impact the business. And, and this goes back to, I guess I would say, training and organization development. But you know, again, sort of this issue-based um, sort of approach. But when you're able to talk about the work from a problems-to-be-solved perspective, and this is a very intercom sort of sort of approach in general to 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 how they work. But when you're able to identify a problem and agree and align on a problem as a business. It makes sort of the solutions um, a lot easier to identify and implement um, as a people leader, 
and and so um, you know one one of the things that I I talk a lot about now is is just helping people position the work in a way that that leaders can understand, and when you're able to talk about it through through the lens of a, of a, a problem to be solved, leaders have a have an easier time sort of understanding and digesting the the sort of the, the not only the, the issue but the, but the solution itself. Totally. I think, you know, what hearing you, t- I, I want to get into what you're doing now, but I think this is a nice bridge into that, which is the work that we do at Better, Faster, Further has a very, like, for organizations or teams to scale, whatever that means, there's a lens that's really process-driven, process-focused. What are our goals? How does work get done? Etc. And, like, obviously nothing happens if people aren't doing the work. And that's, you know, you got you to identify that. But then you layer on top of that the messiness and dynamism that comes with just people, right? Communication styles, conflict styles, egos, desires, whatever it may be. And it, like, it, it, you know, you put 500 people, you know, in an organization trying to accomplish a goal, like it gets crazy and it gets really messy and really dynamic. And, and I guess what I'm, what I'm kind of pushing towards is that I, I feel like the people side of the house, not through the HR lens, but just like the, the dynamism of figuring out how to work with people, you know, companies can have the best plans in the world, super tight OKRs, but if they're not like investing the same level of rigor and process and time and energy in that people side, then the lag time it takes to implement those great plans, you know, you, this game of telephone happens and you get these back channeled conversations and decisions are opaque, you know, like really ambiguous and, and and like they, they just lose their way. And there's a ton of inefficiency in that. So really what I'm getting at is like, yes, let's have clear plans and let's have goals and let's drive that process. And, and HR can play a critical role in that. And then it's like the secondary piece, which is like, now how do we drive all this through the organization? And how do we get these seemingly disparate cross-functional teams to like, somehow speak the same language and, and, and make sure that we're focused on the same priorities with the same level of urgency. Cause that's where we see that companies, especially fast paced startups, like lose their way is in the efficiencies that they have and how to get from decision-making to like actual output or product or, 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 or pushing that forward. And I just see a huge difference in the companies that invest in their people and formalize the HR function and have a strong leader in that role, I see them performing better in quotes, right? Or more efficiently than those that don't. Yeah. I mean, hundred percent bias, you know, opinion here, but, you know, agree, of course. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the, the companies that don't invest um, find themselves, um, you know, at a deficit and, and they're playing catch up. And, you know, when, when, you know, you know, companies finally realize that they 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 have a gap there. It's 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 an uphill uphill battle. It's it's hard it's hard to you know to get there quickly. And, and, and you know, I, I think that and again, Reg, you've been in this for a long time. You know, I think most companies and most startups these days, um, you know, whether or not they know what it looks like, um, they understand this. They want to do and build the right um, organizations from the start. Again, it's not it's easier said than done. Um, very different than when I started my career, you know, where you know the it, the HR function sort of was viewed very very differently than than it is today. I think to your point there, it's you know we get called into organizations, Chris, as you know, because there's either pain or discomfort, and they want it to go away, or 
they're kind of savvy enough to realize like we want to do it right from the get-go. So like help us think about where those opportunities are. And and if you really want to motivate a, a, a company or a person, there's both. There's both pain and discomfort and a desire to like get to greener pastures. And you can really, you know, move mountains in that process. But I I, I do think, you know, I shouldn't be surprised, but I, I am still that like there are organizations that we work with today that are still like it took five or 10 years to get to where they are. And then they expect like, then they, they lift their head up one day and there's like a massive culture debt or a people debt or a communication debt, you know, let alone we talk about tech debt a lot in engineering organizations, but they lift their head up and they're like, Oh shit. Like we've been at this for five years and we've accrued this debt. Now I want to fix it in Q1, you know? And you're just like, well, that's, that's not how it, how it works. You know, like we, we have to, you know, understand where there's leverage, put in these programs and then start to lean into it. And will it take five years? Absolutely not. I mean, if done well, you can expedite that process, but there's like an expectation that you can, you know, turn this switch and, and like make up for this lost time. And, and the reality is the companies that invest here early, it's, it's like micro dosing every day, every week, every month, every quarter over time. And those over the time wins are what make the difference. Yeah, I, I think I think you're right. Good news is that you know you uh, you, you have lots of work ahead of you, <laughs> and lots of companies that need need better, faster, further to to help them um, be, because of this dynamic. But I, I've always tried to to join companies that you know, again were values based, but also were human centered, and, and so you know to, to be able to do my best work as as a you know as a, a people leader, I needed sort of that environment. To, to be there so that I could work in the way that I knew, you know, I could, you know, I think a lot of, a lot of folks um, in, in my role are working for, for some of the companies that you describe and it makes the job really, really challenging. It makes it really hard and, and frankly frustrating at times. And, and I know you've, you've seen a lot of, uh, of, of that, you know, over the years, but that, that was one of the, the things that I intentionally sort of looked for in, in, in the organizations that I wanted to work in, you know, internally was, at least that alignment um, from a values perspective. Once once I knew I, I had that, and I'm lucky I, I, to say, like all four startups I've worked at, you know, I've had alignment with the CEO on that on that front. You know, the the, the work can, can be really fulfilling and, and can have a a massive impact uh, on the organization's you know, success. Totally agree. Well, I think you you mentioned something earlier. Like it's definitely a target rich environment. You know, the work that we do, and and there's no shortage of opportunity to help you know, leaders and teams and companies kind of figure their shit out, if you will. But um, that kind of is a nice segue into what you're doing now. Well, I mean, you know, I, I, I've never, you know, like I said, I made an intentional decision to, to, to go, you know, run HR and, and startups. Um, I, ha- I haven't been super intentional in my career. But, but one thing I, outside of that, one thing I, I would say is, you know, the last few years, I, I sort of learned where I am the best in Excel. And, and it's, you know, you can, you can see in the last sort of four startups I've worked in, I'm, 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 you know, I'm a late later stage growth, you know, uh, people leader. And I, I never wanted to be, you know, I, I, I learned this, I think over the last handful of years, I never wanted to be a, a public company CHRO. That was never my goal. I always wanted to help build a startup to, to, you know, to, um, you know, to, to success and to, you know, to create iconic companies, you know, if I could. Um, but I never wanted to be a, a public company CHRO. I've sort of acknowledged and have really leaned into the fact that I that that's who I am and what I am is I'm a, I'm a sort of a later stage startup person. 
And so as I was thinking about sort of what's next for me, um, it's kind of is either kind of two things. Uh, one, you know, go, go and do another startup, you know, so, so rinse and repeat or, or, or try something different. And, and we talked a little bit about sort of that two by two, you know, at the beginning of our conversation where you're sort of, you're learning as much as, as you're, you're giving or, you know, or, um, the, sort of the, your impact is, is high and your learning is high. And like I said, I've always been sort of searching for, for that, um, to reclaim sort of that, sort of that feeling. And, and so for me, like doing another one, you know, doing another startup, you know, just didn't feel like it was going to be as fulfilling, you know, as I wanted to be, I wanted to be sort of back in the zone of learning. And so I, about a year ago, um, you know, after, after a firm, after intercom, uh, so I made the conscious decision that I was going to intercom was going to be my last sort of operating role, and really wanted to, to transition into advising, um, working on my own sort of uh, personal projects, um, working you know with with various you know startups um, and helping them sort of with with their people issues and their scale issues. I, I've always for the last four or five years I've always had some advisory roles. You can't do many because you know you have a day job, but you know, I love learning about new technology, um, learning about new ideas that 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 people have. You know, so now sort of focused on on, on advising and, and helping companies, uh, you know, with the best I can. That's killer. So, what does that look like? Like, what is your day job now? Well, it's definitely not what it used to be. Yeah, it's definitely not as intense as it, as it used to be, which is nice. I mean, the, the other conscious decision is that you know, want to spend a bit more time with my 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 family is. The two teenagers get close to heading out of the house and going off to college. So, so I've been able to, to do that, you know, in the last year or so. So way, way less intense, but, you know, I'm working with, you know, six or seven different companies, different stages, different sizes, working with both CEOs and COOs um, directly, but also um, with uh, up and coming HR leaders. And like I said, you know, some companies quite small, you know, 10, 10 to 20 people and then a handful of later stage companies and, and, and all sort of in sort of the, the people space and typically with issues of, of, of change and scale. And, and, and when I'm working with HR leaders, you know, smart, capable people, but haven't maybe seen, you know, the, the movie, so to speak. And, and so able to sort of share my experiences, things that have worked and things that haven't worked to help, you know, shortcut um, some of the challenges that they're, they're seeing. I think that's like immensely helpful and such a cool spot. I love what I do because of the diversity. Like I'm kind of a generalist. Like I'm I, I'm expert at almost nothing. I can't think of one thing that I'm actually an expert in, but I, I'm dangerous in a lot of different areas. And I actually love that, right? No, no enough, like no enough to be dangerous, but not enough to go much deeper than that. But like having that skill to be able to cut across an org and have the people skills and understand the ins and outs. And I alluded to this earlier in our conversation of just like, you having been in the trenches in, you know, big companies, uh, startups, pre-IPO, post-IPO, like th- th- those are skills that, you know, you, you learn. And, and it's not just really the, the technical skill, if you will. It's like there's a lot of thrash in a system and, and, and dealing with people. And, you know, I, I, just a different example is like I love it when people I meet that I work with have had a background in like bartending or serving ta- like some servicing because you have to deal with people and you have to deal with their neuroses and their attitudes and these things. And it's like, that's a lot of what gets in the way in these organizations. And then, you know, I, I feel like as an advisor, for lack of a better term, 
you can play a mentor role and share your skills and your experience. And hey, I've, I, I've, I've seen this rodeo before. You can consider this, but then, you know, be able to have the passionate debate with people. And I find one of the biggest benefits that people get from working with outsiders, advisors, or mentors, you can be brutally honest with them because a lot of these leaders get sunshine blown up their ass all day. And people like are either hesitant or afraid or holding back on like the, 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 the real feedback. And to be able to deliver that, whether they like it or not, and then be able to discuss it and unpack it, it's worth its weight in gold. And one little nugget of gold for somebody that they can glean from you can can help you know shift the trajectory of that organization or that department over time. It's 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 hugely impactful. Yeah, it's 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 you know I've always I've always sort of prided myself on being um, sort of transparent and and frankly blunt and I've, I've always sort of tried to to share my my perspective in a direct way you know regardless of being internal or external you know for sure it's harder to do when you're when you're part of the system um and you know you 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 have to manage and juggle lots of different you know different you know um agendas and 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 so it can be challenging um you know i think really good you know people leaders are able to to do that um you know, f- for their organization and for, you know, th- their executives that th- they're working with. But it's, but it is far easier to do when you're, when you're an advisor. And, and um, interestingly, um, you know, uh, you know, not, not only can you sort of be sort of, you know, you know, more blunt, but you, know, you also can have, you know, an, an acute impact on a problem that someone is, is having um, that is really a roadblock um, f- for them. And so uh, I really love sort of being able to sort of unlock, you know, the, sort of those, those challenges for, for people in, in, in the role as an advisor, because you, know, you can say, hey, here's what I've done. Here's what I've tried. Go try it. Come back and let's talk about it, you know, just to, to see sort of some of the, the success that, you know, uh, folks have been able to have over the last year with some of the conversations that I've, I've been having has, has been really fulfilling for me. And, and uh, of course, you know, on the flip side has had a, had a, had a, a really nice impact for, for the companies that I've been working with. Dude, I love that. I love that. So a um, couple of questions for you is number one, you know, what's like the right clientele for you, if you will, like if somebody's listening to this and really, you know, is, is, is valuing the perspective, number one, how, how do they get a hold of you, if you will? And, and like, what does that like good opportunity look like for you? And I think, I think that could be different things, but it'd be great to hear from you on that front. And then secondarily, you know, what's on your plate right now? You don't have to share company names as much as just like maybe some examples of, of, of companies or people or projects that you're enjoying or sinking your teeth into. So I, I don't, I don't have a, a, a ton of marketing or anything like that. I mean, LinkedIn is probably the, the easiest way to find me. Um, I do, I do have a website, um, has sort of a ridiculous name, but it's called Chris Tobin advisory.com. <laughs> not, not the uh, most elegant of names, you can you can link to that uh, via LinkedIn, um, and and it kind of sh- takes you to a page that shows uh, you know the a lot of the companies that I've been working working with um, you know recently. You know, you talked about how 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 to sort of connect with me in the right type of engagement. Um, the the other company that I would actually point you to is a company called Continuum, and Continuum is is a startup itself. I'm actually it's kind of meta. I'm an advisor for them as well as an advisor on their platform, but um, Continuum is is sort of leading the the charge and. Um, in sort of the fractional executive space, 
in the interim um, sort of um, CHRO uh, sort of role space, which is which is really sort of emerging um, and growing quite quickly. And, and they're a marketplace. They basically source you know, great opportunities with startups, um, and then they match people with 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 leaders um, like myself and others, and not only in the the people space but also in finance and marketing and sales, et cetera. So it's a really cool cool platform to to be able to you know to to find you know great you know great advisors. So I work a lot with them. Um, they also you know really have a great service for folks like myself. They they actually manage the back office for me as well. So I run all my business through them, and they give me a ten ninety nine, and they do all my business insurance, and they do all that stuff. So they they've been a great partner you know for, for me sort of in, in this transition, and they've connected me to some some great companies. So that's one place, you know, th- that that you can find me and other people, people like me. But you know, in, any sort of company that is, you know, typically a startup, typically VC backed, um, private equity, you know, you know, as well. But you know, VC backed companies have a, a pretty specific, you know, dynamic, especially you know when, when they're sort of growing and scaling. You know, companies that have a HR leader in place that that maybe is, you know, hasn't seen the next phase. But they want to invest in that person, and they want to hire, you know, an advisor to you know, help that person be successful. Um, I have a handful of engagements currently like that, um, and/or you know, CEOs and/or COOs who are sort of people-forward um, thinkers and leaders who want to put some of these processes in place um, sort of early um, are also sort of great candidates for folks who who I like to work with and I'm currently working with. You know, I just specifically you, you talked about some of the projects. Like, you know, I, I, like you said, I am a pretty I'm a generalist as well. You know, in a lot of ways, you know, over the years, I've, be, I've become a, a generalist, and you know, I've, I've worked in all of the sort of the disciplines of of the people space. One of the areas that that sort of pops up, I would say, ninety percent of the time, regardless of the company and the stage, is is around compensation, compensation philosophy, compensation strategy, compensation program design. It's always a challenge for, for companies, and it changes at every phase of sort of the a startup. Um, and so, early early stage you know startups have challenges that relates to compensation strategy, and so do late stage startups. And when you're a late stage startup, you're talking about you know transitioning to RSUs and becoming public ready, company ready, and working with the compensation committee. And you know, so I I, I do find myself you know talking with companies about compensation pretty much. Uh, most of the time, at some at some time in, in in our engagement, and and it's an area that I actually really really like and have grown to love over over the years. Uh, so so for, for sure, that's an area that I've been spending a lot of time in. That's awesome. Good to know, and I'm glad there's people out there like you that enjoy having those types of conversations because it's uh, a place that I am at lack skill and uh, exposure, but uh, it does it makes a huge difference and understanding that laddering and the and the comp philosophy and you know, comp is so much more than just money, right? It's it's the equity conversation, and again, that's part of the that process of uh, of a maturing organization is just to have that buttoned up to a point where people know what to expect. Where am I? Where am I headed? What are the options? What are the opportunities? And to build more like consistency across the organization is huge. And it's and it's all interconnected to those things that you just mentioned. Totally right. It's it's you know, comp, I always tell people comp is a is a hygiene factor. It's not a motivating factor. People can be you know, very demotivated if they don't feel like they're paid fairly. But once they're paid fairly in their eyes, it's it's not a motivating factor. And all those other areas that you just you talked about, you know, around career arc and career trajectory, and you know, 
manager relationships and, you know, other things that, that, you know, keep people engaged in, in, in organizations. And so you can't, if, if you don't have that foundation on the, the hygiene of, of comp, it's hard to, to, to actually talk about and move into those other areas that are actually the more important areas for, for organizations to focus on. I totally agree. That's interesting. Well, not, not to put you on the spot, Chris, but I'm just wondering if there's like, if you look back at kind of lessons learned along the way, and, and, and it doesn't even have to be through the HR lens, but just like being part of the startup ecosystem and, and you know, for folks, maybe this is more geared towards the audience that are still inside of these organizations, but, you know, for folks who are in the, the, the HR function or, or are, you know, spearheading some of those efforts, by choice or by default, like, are there, are there lessons learned or kind of philosophical approaches to that? And I, I, I'm asking for maybe like companies that are, you know, in the stage before the gearing up for IPO piece, right? It's like, I'd say the, you know, 150 to 500 person startup where there's like, you know, they're, they're, they're starting to get heads of departments. They're starting to get, you know, more structure and they're starting to grapple with that, like how much process versus how little, I find that, you know, there's just, that, that's kind of a gray life cycle in the business. There's not one right way to do that. But I, I, I guess I'm trying to target it towards that audience of like still fast growing, you know, they've got market traction, you know, heads of departments, but they're going from like this, let's grow at all costs and let's figure our, our stuff out to that really, you know, initial thrust of more formal process. Are there any recommendations or thoughts or considerations that you would suggest for that kind of target market that I just painted? I mean, it's it, that's a that's a big question. We we could spend a lot of time talking about it, and, and you know, and and we can. But I, I think uh, the sort of one thing I would share is you have to shift your mentality as a people leader at that stage to be a business leader, and you you have to build your function through the same lens. Um, as your peers do, as the product leader, as the CFO does, as the marketing leader does. Um, and you have to be able to position your work within that context. And that's a really challenging thing to do, especially when or if the function has been viewed as a transactional you know, function. That transition is, is really tough. And it's an area that I, I, I'm, I'm pretty passionate about because I think it's the key to success but it's 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 shifting your mentality to to sort of a part of that executive team, part of that first team, uh, as a business leader is is sort of the the main I would say the, the main sort of key to success, and and that that means being able to you know advocate for for your team and your function in in new ways you know for for resources. I mean a lot of times the people function. And, and finance organization, as an example, are, are lagging the rest of the, the teams from a resourcing perspective. And, and frankly, for I think that's okay and for good reason. But when you hit that time of, of growth and scale, that, that sort of inflection point, you need to invest in the people function and, and finance function and other support functions um, in the same way. And you need to be able to position yourself and talk about your function in, in a way that you know, aligns to the business, but is also convincing because, you know, the, you know, people are going to ask why and, and, and how, and, and how does this help us be better? And so you, you really, you really need to, to, to be able to position yourself and your function in a way that really helps move the business forward. 
I love that. I think that 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 mindset shift as a person kind of running those functions or being a part of it. And then I love the idea of just like having the skills to be able to frame that to your peers or to the CEO in that, you know, in, in honor of that transition going from focusing elsewhere in the business to kind of true, you know, scalability requires a different level of investment uh, in the company to get there. But it's up to you as the leader to, to advocate for that. Yeah. And, and again, like there, you have to deliver, right? I mean, I, I think the piece that you have to be able to deliver is a strategy. Um, the same way a product leader would build, would, would deliver a product strategy. You need to be able to deliver a roadmap and a, and a, a people strategy in, in, in the same way. So there, there obviously you have to, you have to, you know, to, to be able to, to follow through, but you know, that, that is a sort of an essential, you know, piece to helping the business scale and, and to helping to make sure that you get the right resources in order to move the business forward. So, so again, another area that I, I talk a lot about and work with folks a lot on is around people strategy and how to build people strategy and position people strategy in, in a way that you can show sort of what your, your roadmap is, but then on the flip side that people can hold you accountable to. Again, just like, you know, you might hold your product leader to a product roadmap. But it's an essential piece. You need to be able to collect the right information, to, to be able to position it, to be able to put it into the right areas. Everything from like the foundations of the business, like in technology, to the programs that you're building to help you know increase people's you know careers or to build their careers. So, so you need to be able to position it sort of within the right context. But, but that's like I said, it's it's a really important and critical piece. Dude, it's awesome. Well, I love the work you're doing, and. Um... Super excited to see you in this next kind of phase of your your professional journey. I'm thrilled for you. You've been a worker bee for a long time, and I mean that as a as a compliment. You're a hard worker. You've been in the trenches. You've 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 seen a lot. You've done a lot. Um, and been exposed to a lot. I think you know the people on the receiving end of your advice and mentorship is are are, are lucky folks. And um, you know, I'd be thrilled to do whatever we can to continue to support you. And you've always been super supportive of you know, both me professionally and personally, but also to better fester further. So can't thank you enough for that. And um, uh, Adam, you've been such a good listener. It's it's usually you and I batting this one back and forth, but just hearing the conversation, I wonder if you have any kind of closing thoughts or questions for, for Chris. I think it was just, it was helpful for me to hear Chris's journey of, um, you know, and, you know, start to think about what the differences are between a people leader and maybe the technical side of, of HR leadership and, and thinking about programs and systems for companies at different sizes and different levels. I, I mean, full transparency, I was thinking, you know, sort of inward about some of the programs that we're working on with some of our current clients and hearing you talk, Chris, it, it was giving me ideas, not just about conversations to have with some of the leaders that we're working with, but also, you know, where are there potential blind spots that they may not know about and different systems and processes and approaches that may help. So uh, really insightful for me, which is why I was quiet. I was uh, just thinking a lot and absorbing it all. Yeah. Chris, you're great at what you do. We can't thank you enough for your time, my friend. I look forward. It's been a very busy summer for just me. I know you've been on planes, trains, and automobiles as well, but I can't wait to... uh, have some dinner and a beer with you and get the families and stuff together. But um, thank you so much for your time. We truly appreciate it and um, look very forward to kind of kicking this out. Any other closing thoughts or, uh, or, or questions, comments from you before we, before we wrap this thing up? No, I mean, it just, uh, it's been, it's been a pleasure to, to work alongside of you. I'm obviously we are, we are friends, friends first. 
but it's been it's been really awesome to to be able to work with you over all these years and looking forward to continuing to do so in this next phase. Dude, let's do it. Onwards and upwards. Thanks so much. Truly appreciate it. We will circle back really soon. And once again, for those of you that just want to get a hold of Chris Tobin, LinkedIn is is probably the best way to start. Uh, last name is Tobin, T-O-B-I-N. And uh, in case you forgot his magical uh, website, it's ChrisTobinAdvisory.com. Dude, I love it. And we'll link to all that in the show notes too, so, so everybody knows how to get a hold of you. You guys, have a great day. Can't thank you enough. Let's talk soon. Bye, guys. Thanks for joining us today on the Better, Faster, Further podcast. We're honored to have you here and to share these insights, stories, and best practices with you. 100% of our business comes from word of mouth. We focus on delivering a promise, building strong relationships with our clients, and then let the results speak for themselves. If you or someone in your network would benefit from speaking with us directly, please reach out. Our website is betterfasterfurther.com and we can be found on LinkedIn. Or you can email us directly at bff at betterfasterfurther.com. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. We hope you join us on our next episode. And until then, stay positive. Keep working hard and we'll see you on the flip side.